0: Uh, we are in this uh, season uh, that comes every year, and we focus on the same story—the uh, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In in our Christmas stories uh, this year, we're we're looking at the the particulars that inhabit the nativity scene. Anybody got one of these up at their house? Yeah, I encourage you to have it. If you don't, uh, find one. If you get one, make sure that the wise men—if you weren't here last week—put them somewhere else. They aren't there when Jesus is born. They come much later. It just, you know, to be, you know, the integrity of the story. Anyway, uh, but I was, I was looking at my little uh, uh, nativity scene. I had my, my assistant Tammy glue them all down so they wouldn't fall when I talked about them. But uh, um, you, you know what I thought of when I, I saw the, the, the people uh, who are a part of the story? Uh, here's the word that came across my mind. Not much. None of them. Other than Jesus, who is obviously the Son of God and quite a big deal. Uh, The rest of the characters in our nativities uh, are just pretty insignificant. Like last week, we met Mary, right? And Mary's a teenager. Uh, She's from the armpit of Israel, Nazareth. Look it up. It's in the Bible. Nobody and nothing good comes from Nazareth. Uh, She's living there, and the best thing that we can say about her is that she's betrothed to be married. She's uh, been brokered by her father, if that's how it went down, uh, to be the, the wife of a guy named Joseph, who is also from Nazareth. Uh, but that's it, teenage girl, mother of Jesus. Her husband, Joseph, we're gonna talk about him today. You know how many lines Joseph has in your Bibles? Zero. I don't know what this guy's doing talking so much. Joseph didn't, doesn't say a thing. He's got no lines. He has dreams and he obeys God in them. But he doesn't say a thing. He's like an extra in a movie. Uh, my sister-in-law was an extra in the filming of the final scenes of Hoosiers. Anybody seen that show? It's this basketball scene. She went to Ball State University on the day it was being filmed, and she's like, you know, so, so we'll watch the, the, the movie, and we'll look for Clarice. We never see her. She assures us she was there, but she has about, she's as many lines as Joseph does in your Bible, in that movie. She's an extra, and Joseph, certainly, not much an extra. Don't even get me started on the shepherds. We'll meet them next week. They don't even get names. There are these, there's these anonymous uh, sheep watchers who are mining their flocks you know, by night, and the angels come to them and announce the birth of Jesus, and they come. And they got a couple lines, but, uh, uh, but <laughs> shepherds, we'll talk about it more next week. Shepherds were the worst. They were like the dregs of Israeli society. If you couldn't get any other job, you were a shepherd. Uh, and so here they are, the dream team. Uh, the, the ones who are there to celebrate the birth of the God who created everything. His son comes to earth, and he's born to not much. I, I thought of not much because uh, I like nicknames. Anybody like giving people nicknames? Anybody got a nickname? Anybody go by a nickname? Some of you, we don't even know your name. You're just whatever you go by. Um, I had nicknames growing up in middle school. I'd surprise you to know this, but my nickname was Spaz. Kind of checks out, but... Uh, uh, in, in college, I, I, I gathered with all my uh, uh, f- incoming freshman friends in the first few weeks that we were there. We all decided to, t- uh, to give each other nicknames. Wouldn't it be fun? And uh, uh, no one else's nickname really stuck except mine. Uh, I was called Buckethead. It's not a flattering thing at all. I have a huge melon. Uh, and, and so uh, they looked at the size of my head and they thought, well, I have a bucket. And, uh, and so, literally, if you go to, you know, the school that I went to, no one will know Mark Saunders, but if you say Buckethead, oh, people will be like, oh, yeah, isn't he a pastor now? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I love giving nicknames. I've given all my kids nicknames at various di- different times in their lives. I give almost everybody on our staff nicknames. No one's called by their normal name. I'm a nickname guy. Um, it's only been recently that I've given my bride, who has many nicknames, uh, the, the nickname that kind of inspired today's theme. Um, Eleanor wakes up early, uh, Eleanor is, uh, is, I love her, She is so fascinating to me. She has 50 ideas for year one. She's just this uber creative, high motor, overachiever, and, uh, and so uh, she'll get up at 4.30, I get up at 6, I don't think that's super late, but she gets up at 4.30 and she's been up for that hour and a half just churning, praying, reading her Bible, thinking through things, pondering the problems of our world. And I just kind of stumble into our kitchen. Find, I drink cold coffee because that's the right way to drink it. And I, I get my coffee out, and I drink my. I start sipping on this coffee, and she'll appear in our kitchen door and launch. Does anybody know someone like this? And she'll be like, "Oh, good, you're awake." Right? And I'll just be sitting there, and I'll just be like wiping the crud out of my eyes and trying to quickly slam the caffeine. And there, I, I still remember uh, saying it, babe, too much, too much. And that's why I call her a little much. There's another one in my family. <laughs> oh, it's okay, it's a flattering. I call her a little much. There's another one in my family who's, who's too much. That's Ben, okay? Ben, my oldest son, too much. He's actually got it tattooed on his right wrist. It's gonna stick, it's on him forever. But uh, that made me think of not much. Because when you consider... The story of Christ's birth, there's, there's no real superheroes in it. There's no um, desirables. No, nobody in the nativity sat at the cool table in high school. They're just kind of there. I thought this week, why? Why, why does God use these, um, not undesirables, well, maybe, certainly unworthies, right? Why, why does he use them? Well, a couple things. One, not a lot to choose from. Like even the very best humans, still pretty much piles of garbage, and, and we'll get to that more in a second. Everybody with me? But I think he's very intentional in choosing the likes of these, you know, because at least one thing comes through clearly in our scriptures. Um, we, we may differ in uh, intelligence and abilities and different things, but we're all on the same level when it comes to us spiritually. We are not much when it comes to what we have to offer God in a spiritual relationship with Him. In fact, I, I'd even go further. We're, we're not near enough. Like, like the Bible paints this picture of us. There was there a dispute in the church in Rome. Paul writes a letter to him called Romans. And the dispute kind of uh, arose between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians thought they were the better version because they were, you know, descendants of Abraham and they kept all the laws of the Old Testament. And so certainly they were better than these grubby Gentiles, which they'd always been told Gentiles, no way, no good. Um, and, and, And yeah, they might be saved by the skin of their teeth, but we're the superior followers of Jesus Christ. Read it. Paul spends the first three chapters just basically breaking everybody down. In chapter 3, he quotes the Old Testament for all these snooty Jewish Christians. And he says this in verse 10. He says, there is none righteous. No, nope, not one. No one understands God. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together they have become worthless because no one does good. How many? Not even One. Spiritually speaking, not much and not near enough. He goes on later in that, uh, that same chapter and he says a, a verse that might be more familiar to us. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, it's like all of us lining up at the edge of the Grand Canyon and trying to jump to the other side. Tony might get further than me, but ain't nobody getting across. Are you with me? That's why the good news of Scripture is so good. Anybody here for some good news this morning? All of us not-muches are blessed by a God who loves us with this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love like we just sang about. The love of God for us not-muches is so profound that these, um, uh, these spiritual shortcomings, they're overcome, not because of us, but because of the God who loves us. God loves us, uh, us not much as so much uh, that he sends his son to live among us. In John three sixteen, Jesus explains this. God so loved you who are here in the world that he sent me his only son so that whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what he said in Nicodemus. It's from God's love that he sends his son. But his love doesn't just stop at the sending, the love um, moves forward into the purpose of Christ's arrival, of his putting on flesh and becoming one of us. God loves the not much is so much, and he sent Jesus to die the death that we all deserve for sin, so that he might take our place, and if we put our faith in him, we can be spared this life without God, this penalty that we deserve for sin. The same letter that I was referencing earlier, Romans. Uh, Paul writes this as he gets into the good news part. He says, God's love is demonstrated for us. He shows us his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was standing behind a, a guy at Chipotle last Sunday night. I love me some Chipotle. Anybody like Chipotle? You don't have to, but I, I love me some Chipotle. And I had waited too long to eat. Anybody hangry right now? I'll go as quick as I can for you guys, but uh, hanger is a real thing. Like it, it, it accentuates all of your emotions in negative ways. I'm standing behind this guy. I finally get to the front of the line. Uh, sometimes Chipotle's busy, and so I finally get there, and I'm, I'm so excited to get my order and to start eating it, but the dude in front of me will not get off his phone. Has anybody been behind this person, whether it's traffic or Chipotle or something like that? It's like, seriously, we can't. Not look at this screen for just a few seconds until everybody gets what they need, and my hanger can subside right so um he's you know having to answer every question twice from the guys behind there he's changing his mind about what he's putting on his bowl. it's like bro <laughs> but i'm I'm keeping it together. He finally gets to the to the cast register and the uh, the person behind the register punches all of his stuff in and tells him the price, and now he's going to take the phone that he's been paying too much attention to and pay with it. He's going to flip over to his card, so he's got to do 15 swipes to get that figured out. And then he finally takes it, and he does the boop. I don't know what the technical word for it is, but he's, he's trying to pay with his phone, and the first time he does it, doesn't work. So the guy asks him to do it again. Second time he does it doesn't work. So he asked him to do it a third time. The third time, the same thing happens. And this is when the kid behind the, the register finally says, hey, sir, I don't mean to embarrass you, but your card has insufficient funds. Do you have any other way to pay? You ever been behind someone who's been totally making you crazy? <laughs> and the, the dark side of you <laughs> witnesses this ultimate fail in the payment process and you're like, yeah! That's what you get, screen liquor, right? I mean, <laughs> that was weird. I don't know why I said that, but uh, <laughs> the dark side of you is like, yeah, no Chipotle for you. <laughs> but then there's this, <laughs> hopefully in you too, but in, this, in me, there is this spirit of God living because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And every once in a while, not hopefully more often than that, but uh, um, he, he kind of whispers in those moments of, mm. you know, fleshly triumph. He's like, hey, Mark, possible that this might be another thing? Because what was I ready to do as soon as they would, you know, punch my numbers in? I had my phone all set to pay for my stuff. It was right there. He says, Mark, you know what? All you got to do is take your arm and just go. And everything can keep moving. You'll be the hero of the 30 people in line. (laughs) Not to say the least, the the hero of this guy who's not going to be able to eat otherwise. So that's what I did. I just took my phone, and I was like, all right, boop. And what happened next is what you expect to happen in the world that we live in. People's minds just went, what? You gave this guy $15? (laughs) How is this possible? And I just looked at the guy, and I said, hey, man, I got dinner tonight. Get out of my way. No, uh, I didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> that's horrible. I just ruined the story. I totally ruined the story just then. <laughs> and I said, hey, man, I got this. And that was it. We didn't exchange cards. He didn't give me a hug. He just kind of was like, oh, and I grabbed his and walked away. But that happens so that I can preach it the next Sunday <laughs> because It's a Chipotle bowl, but it's exactly what our Scriptures is teaching us about our spiritual lack. We're not much, not near enough. If God came to you and said, based on your abilities and your merits alone, you got enough to pay for what it will require for you to enter into my kingdom? And the answer for every one of us, paid Christians or not, is no, not near enough. I'm just not much, but God sends his only son, Cradle, so that he could die for us, cross, resurrect from that death, conquer the grave and give to us. After living the life we cannot live, a sinless life, and taking on himself the death that we all deserve, he raises from the grave and offers us a gift that we could never earn and gives us eternal life, boop. There's way more than that, but it's a spiritual boop nonetheless. What I want to finish my time with today is this. Not only does God love us not much as so much that he sends Jesus, not only does he love us not much as so much that he has Jesus die in our place, he loves us not much as so much that he involves us in the story that he tells or the story that he unfolds, uh, using these unlikelies, these unworthies, us, to accomplish his purposes in his world. He does this for a couple reasons. One, he wants to bless us. He involves us to bless us. He, he, He gets us into situations that we could never experience apart from his grace in getting us there. Sometimes they're just these incredible blessings. My my, uh, wife and I uh, got married in 1992, and uh, uh, I was not making a bunch of bank at the time, and so we opened our uh, wedding cards on the night that we went away for our uh, uh, honeymoon, and we spent whatever was in them. That was our budget for our honeymoon. Yeah, We drove to Chicago and stayed in a hotel there after sleeping the night, first night in Indianapolis. We went to a uh, a, a free-of-charge ministry retreat center called Tr- uh, Three Rivers Ranch in, in the, in the you know, beautiful uh, borough of Rockford, Illinois. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what that deserves. Anyway, uh, um, we did it on the cheap. All right, we had uh, you know dinner out every night, and I took her to Beauty and the Beast because it had just come out. Now, we were uh, newly married, and we had waited for marriage, so that was fine. <laughs> We spent a lot of time inside. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> but we'd never been on a proper honeymoon, or what I would consider you know, a celebration of our, our marriage. And so uh, I'm hanging out in, in a church in Dallas, Texas, 10 years after we were married. I was preaching on a particular Sunday, and Kevin, one of the fathers of, the, of one of the families of, of kids that were in the ministry that I was over as a youth pastor, he walks up, and he's just kind of shaking his head, and I'm like, what did I say? I don't know what I did. And he just, he shakes my hand. He's like, Kevin, what's up? We're good friends. And he's like, man, I don't know why I'm doing this. I really don't. Uh, but I just, I don't know what, uh, I couldn't even hardly listen to you. God wanted me to say this to you. And I'm like, oh, no, right? He's gonna get me fired. What'd I do, right? Uh, he says, no, uh, I, I just want you to know, um, every year, uh, he's a lawyer, a, a very wealthy lawyer in Dallas, Texas. And every year, uh, I, uh, I'm part of a, a timeshare where my wife and I uh, head to Kauai uh, to s- spend a week at the Marriott there. And uh, we're unable to go this year, long story, uh, but I-, I need to send someone. Normally, I'd say to send someone to my family, but I think I'm supposed to send you. And I was like, well, you're right. The Lord has spoken. No, I, uh, <clears throat> I was incredulous. This doesn't happen. I mean, maybe a boop every once in a while, right? But no one comes up to you and says, trip of a lifetime. Air miles will cover the flights. you got a place to stay. Uh, He even paid for excursions for us. And we went on an experience that was way beyond our pay grade and could have never happened otherwise apart from the blessing of Kevin. And that's why God involves us in stuff that uh, moves his plan forward in life. Oftentimes, it's this incredible blessing that we could never experience otherwise except that he says, here you go, let's go do this together and watch what I do as a result, right? But here's the other reason that he involves us. Us not much, as us near, not near enough. He involves us, why? Well, it's all he's got to work with. But he also involves us unlikelies and us unworthies and us unables because if something happens through us, It's impossible for us to take the glory. He alone is able to do some of the stuff that we've experienced in life. He alone is able to do the things that we read about in our Bible. There's a a stuttering shepherd named Moses. He's a fugitive. From the courts of Egypt, he is uh, 40 years after the fact, visited by God, a bush lights on fire and God says to Moses, hey man, I need you to go back to where you're a fugitive and speak to the the Pharaoh in charge on behalf of the slaves in that nation, my people, Israel, so that I can get them out of there. Remember how Moses reacted? Let's go. No, he was like, heck no, I'm not doing that. And God, in so many words, looks at Moses and says, of course you're not. I am. I just need you to have faith and trust me so that I can use you. And so that, (laughs) you're perfect, Moses. No one's going to believe that you did any of this. You're wanted for murder. You're a fugitive. You can't even talk right. You had a stutter. Of course I'm using you because can't nobody point the finger at you and your ability, they'll just see me and what I've done through you, right? I mean, you can just walk through your Bibles, you guys, and it's person after person like that. Gideon, Joshua, David. He was pretty eager to go fight the tall guy, but, uh, but still, he had no business being in this fight. That's why Saul, his king, was like, what are you doing, you can't fight this guy. I mean, I'm glad you are, no one else was gonna do it, first and foremost me, but, uh, but you, you, know, I don't know, this is crazy. Take my armor, take my sword, take everything that I I can give you. And and David says, no, I got all I need, right? Because me and God and some rocks in my sling, we're good. And over and over again, God shows himself to be who he is through the least likelies, the not muches, the not near enoughs, like you and me. You're like, are we gonna read the Bible? Sure, let's go. I want to go to this not-much not guy that we're talking about today. His name's Joseph. and I, Listen, we don't get a lot on him. He doesn't have any lines. But we do get basically three characteristics about his life. As he kind of uh, sorts through the initial uh, uh, responses that he has uh, to uh, hi, him realizing that his fiancée, his betrothed Mary, is pregnant. God gives us uh, a, a, a few glimpses into this guy, who he is. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but for us not muches, for us not near enoughs, if we ask the question, why, what, what does God need from us if he's going to involve us successfully in his plan moving forward? Uh, these things about Joseph might be where we start. It says in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. We talked about this last week, but uh, being a fiance back in, in the Hebrew culture that uh, Joseph and Mary are living in is, is basically being married. that's why you're about to read that Joseph is going dis- to decide to divorce his fiance, even though they're not married yet. It was as if they were married. It was a contractual agreement between families. Uh, if, if you were a fiance and, and your fiance to you know, your spouse to- be died, you would be called a widow in Hebrew culture, even though you'd never you know been officially married and so uh, uh, G- uh, as, as Jesus is about to be born, uh, Mary, who is betrothed to Joseph, uh, before they came together, it was found that she was with child from the Holy Spirit. When it says found there... Uh, it doesn't tell us in the Bible exactly how Joseph finds out. We do know that as soon as Mary found out about, uh, you know, her being coming, uh, you know, pregnant uh, by the Spirit of God, um, uh, the angel that she was visiting with said, go and see your cousin. Her name's Elizabeth, and uh, you'll find that she's pregnant as well. It'll be the sign to you. And so last week we talked about that. Mary goes and visits Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, and most scholars think she stays there probably three months, maybe even four If you've been pregnant for three or four months, ladies, uh, and you come back uh, uh, to town, uh, there might be some visible signs of some changes in you. And so scholars don't know if Mary came and shared the news with Joseph or if just her her outward appearance was kind of tipping things off. But whatever the case was, Joseph did the math, and he knew that something had to come down. Three things. Three things that God uses in Joseph in order for... His uh, not muchness to be overcome and be used of God in His plan. Now, the first thing is, if uh, God knew that Joseph was uh, a righteous dude, just like Ferris Bueller, uh, J- Joseph did the right things. Now, look what it says in verse nineteen: uh, Her husband, interesting, calls her her husband. Uh, uh, her husband, being a just man, uh, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He's a just man. That word just there is the Greek word dikaios. Everybody say dikaios. It means righteous. It's most often translated righteous in your scriptures. He's a righteous dude. I'm not being silly when I say that. He, he was a, a, a right guy. He was a, a rule follower. Uh, In in that culture, in the Jewish culture, certainly, if someone was found to have been unfaithful to you you while in a contract of betrothal, uh, the the scriptures tell us for that person to be set aside. In fact, it goes even further. It was pretty stringent. uh, If you were found in in adultery or in fornication, uh, in infidelity of any kind, uh, the the scriptures required your stoning, ladies. Uh, And so uh, uh, the Jewish law was clear, but did you know the Roman law required the same thing? Uh, the Romans back then, if someone had been betrothed to a Roman citizen uh, and, and the same kind of stuff had happened, uh, that marriage by law was required to be annulled or to be ended. And so Joseph knows what's expected of him in this situation. We don't have a ton of other things about Joseph, but what it says here is that in gen- general sense, he's a just man. He does the right things, he knows what's right and he chooses it. How are you at that? Joseph did the right things, but he didn't just do the right things. He showed mercy in the midst of doing right things and extended grace, especially in this uh, situation with Mary. Now picture this. I don't know if you can put yourself there, uh, but you know, maybe fellows more than the ladies, or I don't know, all of us could. If the person that you were promised to shows up having been unfaithful to you, right? Uh, is that a heartbreak situation? Yeah, absolutely. It's betrayal. There's a fence there. Joseph doesn't have the whole story like we do 2,000 years later looking back. He's dealing with what's in front of him. And in the world that we live in, and I'm guessing back then too, if if someone messes with me, the, the, the general sense in the world that we live in is do back twice as bad or more. Get your pound of flesh. Make it painful for them. Let everything that you, you know, have at your disposal to wreck their world, wreck their world. Why? Because they've wrecked yours. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? It's the world that Joseph lives in, but it's not what he chooses to do. It says her, her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame. Had the right to do so, but chose it not. We call this mercy. Everybody gets mercy, right? Mercy is you having the right uh, to take or to inflict, uh, to cause harm or to, uh, to 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 bring about a just result, but you choose it not. Someone punches you, you don't hit them back. That's mercy. But he doesn't stop at mercy. He shows grace. He resolves. It says to divorce her quietly. This is a Greek word that basically means leniently, as nicely as possible. There's all kinds of ways that this could have gone down. He could have you know, shouted it from the streets, Mary's you know, uh, unfaithful and called her names, and now everybody would have understood. And he could have you know, demanded everything that he had coming, uh, but he chooses not to do those things and instead seeks wherever is possible uh, to make this, even though it has to happen, he's a just man, he seeks to make it as, as lenient as possible for as much grace to be shown can possibly be shown. A- Eighteen years ago, I had been here for a couple years as your pastor. Uh, the first worship guy that we hired uh, had worked for us for uh, just a little over a year, I think. And the phone rings in my house one night, and it was, it was him. And uh, he is crying uh, uncontrollably. Not something that has happened in the relationship that we had had before. Uh, he lets me know on this phone call that uh, he's made some horrible choices. He's been unfaithful to his wife and he needs my help. Now, I am his pastor and friend, and I am his boss and the defender of the integrity of our church. And in those moments, I mean, I'm only 36 years old, only been a senior pastor for just a little while, was not anticipating this being something I would ever have to deal with. Uh, I, had, I had some opportunities to make uh, first-time choices that could never be made again. To the grace of God, I can't say that I bat a thousand in these kinds of things. But to the grace of God, um, I think, as best as I could, by His, um, you know, guidance and enablement, uh, I was right, uh, but merciful and gracious. I was right because I said to this guy, "Hey, man, you're done. You're not going to serve in our church anymore, because this is not a nothing thing. We got to." you got to pull out of this place and work on your marriage and try to save that. There's other things that need to happen, but as far as employment status, you're done. Now, as far as husband status and brother in Christ status, I love you, and I know you're probably not welcome at your house right now, so come and stay in my bonus room for the week. You stayed in our house for those six days until I got up here on this stage the next week and Uh, announced to everybody that he was no longer to be our worship pastor. And it was hard. There was some tension in that, right? But that's how God wants us to live. Because so often, here's the deal, lots of times we're great at keeping the rules, but there's no compassion. Or we're great at showing compassion, but we just ignore the rules. And what God wants from his people is truth and love. He wants us to do what's right, and love those who aren't doing it the best that we can. This is, I think, what God sees in Joseph and says, I can work with that. We're gonna get to the last thing that he uh, embodies here in a second, but can we go to, the, <laughs> go to the conversation that Joseph ends up having in this dream? Look at verse 20. <laughs> it tells us uh, that as he considered these things in his waking hours and tried to figure out how he could be right, and merciful and gracious at the same time. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord who appeared to him when he was sleeping in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I love that phrase, do not fear. Now, If you've read the Bible at all or heard someone preach it, angels showing up is scary business, okay? Like Mary freaked out. And so the angel that met with Mary said, hey, be not afraid. Uh, Next week, we're gonna get to the shepherds. They're really gonna freak out. In fact, in the old translations, they were sore afraid. Anybody heard that one? Like so afraid it hurt, I guess. And so the angel said to them, hey, calm down. I get it. This isn't an everyday occurrence. Just listen to me. And then the good news follows, right? That's not what happens here in our story. It looks like the same words, but it's a different Greek tense. And without going into all the Greek lessons that you need to understand in that, it's called the aorist tense. It basically has this idea of starting and continuing. And so it wasn't just don't be afraid right now. What the angel was saying to Joseph as he considered what he would do, he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Hear or read. Never be afraid ever don't be afraid now and don't be afraid as you move forward into this uncertain future of what of being married to a woman who is pregnant before you sealed the deal everybody's going to do the math okay either joseph jumped the gun which is a no no or she was with someone else which is a no was with someone else which is a no no but regardless the scarlet letter of the failure, the perceived failure, the same thing that Joseph was functioning in as he considered what to do with Mary, the same stigma is going to follow them moving forward. But what does God say to Joseph? Hey, man, I know it's going to be hard. There's going to be tough parts to this. But never be afraid ever. To what? To do what I'm calling you to do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is behind your wife's pregnancy, and the Holy Spirit will be present Through everything that you face. See, uh, fear is predicated on the the unknown. I I don't know how that's gonna work out. It could work out bad, fear. But if God is with us, who can be against us? Mary got this message from the angel last week. Nothing is impossible with God. Did anybody do the mantra this week? Right? God is with us. God has favored us. And nothing is impossible with God. In so many words, that's what this angel is saying to Joseph. Hey, man, I know this is crazy. I know things are going to be hard. But trust me and trust God. Never be afraid ever. She will bear a son, it says in verse 21. And you shall call his name Jesus. We're going to get to this in a second so I'll keep reading for he will save his people from their sins and all this took place to fulfill this is Matthew kind of writing parenthetically as he's reporting what happened in the christmas story here in his gospel he kind of pulls back at it or back from it like he does throughout the gospel, and he he's writing to a Jewish audience, and he he's he's very emphatic of, of all the gospel writers. He's the most um, you know careful to make sure that the the prophecies of the Old Testament. He's writing to a Jewish audience. He wants them to understand that the things were said in the Old Testament are being fulfilled in Jesus now, and so he references a passage from Isaiah chapter nine. Uh, a passage that involves the prophet Isaiah and the king of Judah at the time, a guy named Ahaz. It's a whole bunch of stuff, don't have time. But this is what was said to Ahaz, who was in a pickle. He was uh, being attacked from the north, from Syria and from the nation of of, of Israel, which a long story. Uh, But he was you know, fearing for his life and for his kingdom. And, And Isaiah says to him, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is really the point of what he's saying here, Which means, what? God with us. So that was the promise to Isaiah, and it's now fulfilled in the person of Jesus. This guy, born to these not muches. Joseph obeyed God's specific call in his life. That's the third thing. He was a righteous dude, he did the right things, and he did the right things as best as he could with compassion, mercy, and grace. But when push came to shove, and God spoke to him specifically, here's what I need from you and for you, he obeyed God's specific call in his life. Look, it says in verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He didn't, you know, uh, go on Reddit and ask, you know, for uh, opinions. He, he didn't consult, you know, the neighbors. Um, he just immediately set about to obeying God, choosing this hard path uh, of of continuing in this relationship with Mary. He took his wife and knew her not until she had given birth to a son so that she could truly be uh, uh, the, the Virgin Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, having never been with anybody else. Uh, and this is so crucial, don't miss this. And he called his name, what? Jesus, that was what he had been told to call it. And so we read our Bibles sometimes and we kind of miss maybe some of the, uh, the underlying truth that's in there. If you, if you go back 2,000 years ago, um, Fellas, you guys named the, the, the kids. There was no baby books that you and your wife would sit and pour over. You know, do we call it you know Brooklyn or some other New York borough or whatever? Uh, <clears throat> um, there was no conversation. It was the, the the naming rights were the fathers. Now, if if the father came to a uh, a woman who had uh, you know been pregnant or had a, a child, an unnamed child that had just recently been born. Um, if he chose the name for that child, it was, it was basically code. It was the same as his adoption of that child. And so when Joseph names Jesus, he says, Jesus, even though he's not mine, is mine. And that's why Jesus appears in the genealogy that precedes this story. And the final entry there is that uh, Joseph uh, was the father of Jesus. Even though he wasn't the physical father of Jesus, he was the legal or adoptive father of Jesus and that's how, because you got your, uh, your heritage from your father, that's how Jesus became a descendant of David and fulfilled the prophecies therein. That's extra, you got that, no one else did. Congratulations. <laughs> Do the right things. You wanna be used of God in his story? Even though you and I are not much and certainly not deserving and not enough. Baseline, there's other things probably, but let's start with these. Do the right things. Be busy living a life of integrity, knowing what's right and choosing it. As you choose those right things, always bear in mind compassion. Seek to be merciful and gracious. Balance the two. And then as God speaks to you and I, and lead you to his specific will for your life, as crazy as it might seem, or as, or as much as it might seem to be costing you. Choose it. Honor him in it. These are the keys to us being used as not much as in his story. Can I finish with two more things? It'll be real quick. There's two names given to Jesus. The first one is the name Jesus. In, in that name, we have this uh, idea communicated to us that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Read that verse again, verse 21, it says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name, say it with me, Jesus, Uh, for he will save his people from their sins. The reason that little qualifying phrase uh, follows the word Jesus is it's the Hebrew word Yeshua in the Old Testament, it's Joshua. Uh, But here in the New Testament, it's Jesus in the Greek, and so it's pronounced Jesus, but it's the same word. And just like Joshua in the Old Testament, Jesus is in the New Testament, the same person. He is God's, that's what the word Yeshua means, God's Yeshua, yeah, Savior, God's salvation. And so the name is very specific because as the angel says to Joseph, you'll call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Time out. Wait a minute, What? Those who had studied the Old Testament Scriptures were expecting a Savior, but not a sin Savior, not a spiritual one. They were expecting a, a, a political leader, a, a, a militaristic uh, liberator, someone to reestablish the, 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 the promises that were made to Abraham about you know, Israel and its boundaries and to uh, cause Israel to flourish and to set up an earthly kingdom. Now, Jesus will come one day and set up an earthly kingdom. That's another sermon for another time. But that wasn't his purpose here in this first coming. In his first coming, his purpose was spiritual, to spiritually save. He grows up, becomes you know uh, uh, a man, and enters into his ministry years, and one of the miracles that he does, does I remember in Luke five, this guy gets lowered down through the ceiling? He's a paralytic, right? He's on this mat, if you don't, you can read it. And uh, his friends are so eager to get this guy healed of his paralysis that they basically cut a sunroof in this house that Jesus is teaching in and they lower him down in front of him. And this is what Jesus says upon this guy finally arriving at this level where he can see him and see the friends up through the roof. He says this in verse 20, he says, and when he saw their faith, the guys on the roof and this guy that was laying on the bed, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Let's say the guy's now, you know, his name's Larry. He's laying on the bed, and he's like, not why I'm here. Appreciate, you know, the sentiment, but these don't work. Can you do something with these? Because that's why I'm on this bed, my friends had to lower me down in front of you. I can't walk. How about fixing these? The Pharisees were there spying on Jesus, and they were outraged because this carpenter from Nazareth had done it again. He had claimed powers that only God can have. He says, how can this guy say that he forgives? Forgive sins, and Jesus hears them or senses them, and in front of this huge crowd in them, he says, oh, I get it, you don't think I can forgive sins. Well, how about this, how about I make this guy walk? And if this dude walks, how about you believe me when I say that I can forgive sins? Don't miss that in the miracles. None of the miracles were solely for the benefit of the person who received them. All of the miracles pointed back to the one truth that was reported by this angel to the future father, earthly father of Jesus. His name shall be Jesus because he will save men and women from their sins. All these not muches and not enoughs can't do for themselves. So because I love them, I'll do for them. And Jesus will save them from their sins. Last thing's this, he shall be called Emmanuel because Jesus came to be in life with us, right? God with us, it's Jesus, God with us. It's not just the initial uh, you know, salvation that he brings. Certainly that's the beginning of a relationship with him, but we're meant to live with Jesus in life. He's meant to, you know, like uh, the country song, take the wheel, Jesus, take the wheel. And, and he's meant to drive us in life. As the the shepherds are going to be told next week, uh, a a child is born who is your Savior and what? Lord. He's your Lord. He's meant to be with you, but not just for what he can bring you in his grace. He's meant to be with you as your leader and your Lord in life. And so now, thanks for listening. My voice is almost gone. (sighs) But let's learn from the not-muches, the nobodies, in the nativity who amount to nada. We're them, they're us. God loves us not-muches and not-near-enoughs so much that he sends Jesus who is our more than enough. It's because of his love that he does this. Are you overwhelmed by his love? He loves us so much that he doesn't wanna leave us in our not-enoughness. And Jesus comes to be our Savior and our Lord. Can we sing about the love of our God together as we close? bow with me hey God in heaven thanks for loving us we deserve it not could never earn it Uh, your love for us is your choice Uh, so thank you thanks for uh, embodying your love to us in Christ uh, for sending him to the cradle so that he could go to the cross Uh, as we uh, walk in this life uh, we are looking forward to being blessed by you uh, be involved by you in the things that you're accomplishing in us and around us. Uh, for that to happen, God, you gotta help us choose and do the right things. You gotta help us to have your heart, your compassion, your mercy and grace for each other. You gotta help us in obeying you, even when it seems crazy and, and uh, we have a hard time believing. Help us with all of that, God. There's some people here that haven't even started, they're just kinda out on you and they've just kinda been waiting for this to end. I pray uh, for them especially, you'd pierce through, uh, you know, what's hardening their heart against you and you'd help them to see you and follow you, that you'd encourage them in life with you and that soon they'd meet your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray these things because he's the difference. He's the difference in life. Thanks for letting me get to know you through him, my father, and uh, may you be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. God bless you as you go.